Hey there, welcome back to the Path to Zion podcast, where we are rediscovering the ancient way. Thank you for joining in today. You can always find us online at pathtozion.com, where all of the audio from these episodes are, are always posted online. You can reach out to us via email, pathtozionpodcast at gmail.com, or of course on our Facebook page as well. And uh, we thank you for tuning in today. It's been a little while since we've been on the air talking about anything. I did a, a, an audio-only recording roughly a week ago, maybe five days ago. Um, we've not done any videos for a little bit because life has just been very busy. Just outside the window here, spring is kind of on the scene. And so here in our life specifically, there's just a lot of things going on, responsibilities. And uh, put that alongside the constant wrestling with priorities in life of giving ourselves to study and to meditate on the word and and, and our ministry, which is the, just the outflow of our life, tending to these things in rightful measure in the demands of everything we have to do as responsible parents and husbands, business owners, human beings. So thank you for tuning in today. There is a wealth of information um, about things we've been talking about on our YouTube page. We won't go into all those today, but what I would, what I uh, do want to talk about is something that I titled today, Completely Clean. Completely Clean, with an emphasis on completely. And what we're going to talk about for the most part in, in very topical measure, in, in very <laughs> small increment, is this Biblical understanding of the word clean. Now, again, I'm telling you, like, if you could place all of the eternal wisdom uh, of the eternal written word of God on, on, a, on a giant plane, and we are taking a, a pin, <laughs> a P-I-N, and we're scraping one little molecule off of this biblical understanding of this word clean, clean, okay? Again, seriously, this is not even merely topical. This is a quick shoo, glance, ba barely even a glance, a, a twinkling of an eye perhaps. But when I was doing our whiteboard teaching here, I believe it was yesterday, I was in John chapter 13. And it's interesting because again, by happenstance, I was reading John 13 and it was almost time for Passover. Passover actually was actually there. It was that time frame. And, you know, if you follow the biblical calendar, same time frame right here, right now, as is, is we are in the middle of March. Fast forwarding to the end of it before long. And so I want to set the stage and, and just read some text. And again, for time's sake, I've, I've put it all on my pages here. Because as always, as I'm always saying with almost every episode we do here, the Word of God is so living and active. Like when we sit down and give ourselves to it, it's just layer upon layer upon layer of understanding, of encouragement, of, of admonition, correction, levels and levels and levels of, of things for us to glean and add to our lives. And what? Help us in our sanctification journey process now in Messiah for those of us who are in Him, in Him. 
And so John chapter 13, if you want to turn there, go ahead. Um, a lot of, just de- depend, depending on what version you use, it may say the Lord's Supper. Um, <laughs> there's a lot more going on than that. Um, but that being the case, that's kind of the familiarity verbiage that most of us were raised in in the church. And so let's just read a little bit of the text. Um, let's see. Let's start at verse 1. Very simple. John chapter 13. Now before the feast of Pesach, Passover, Yeshua, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He knows the end is coming. All these things that he prophesied his whole life, not yet, not yet, not yet, not that way, not this way. It doesn't go like that. He knew he was nearing the end of his suffering servant journey that he came to earth as the God-man to accomplish and fulfill. And during supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Yeshua, knowing that the Father had handed all things over to him, and that he had come forth from the Father and was going back to him, he got up from the supper and he laid his outer garments aside. And he took a towel and he tied it around his waist, around himself. Now we don't have time to go through all of the intricacies of what's going on during this Pesach Passover meal and the importance and value of the bread and the, and the wine, the body, the blood. And when you do this, when you do this Passover cup, Oh man, all these things. Remember me during this moment, this moment, this set-apart, distinct Pesach, Passover moment. Remember me, my body, my blood, and all those layers. We don't have time. This is not a Passover message. But as it continues on, and we'll paraphrase a little and read some other. As Yeshua poured out the water and he began to wash the feet of his disciples, Peter said this, quote, Lord, You are washing my feet? Yeshua answered and said to him, What I am doing, you do not realize right now, but you will understand later. Now let's just hit the pause for a brief second. I love this phrase because this really summarized Yeshua's life, did it not? This this phrase, "What, what I'm doing right now, you don't understand. He said this, of course, in many different ways to his followers. You just don't have you don't have the eyes to see or the ears to hear right this second all that I'm doing here. You just don't get it. And 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 it would do us well to understand that sometimes that's true for us and may we embrace the fact that you know what sometimes some things I just don't have understanding towards right now when I may wish that I did. Maybe I don't always have understanding towards Everything I read or everything Holy Spirit reveals in my life or this truth or that truth, a doctrinal shift or change, something I I read that that Shaul Paul wrote and I'm just like, I don't understand that. Or it may even seem like something that pulls this awkward tension of disagreement, but yet I know it doesn't. I just lack understanding. And sometimes I think it would be good for us to hear the words of our Master What I'm doing, you just don't realize right now, but you'll understand later. 
Now, understanding towards all of what he was doing, the fullness, if you will, of what was being signified in this Passover meal, of course, was revealed and has been revealed to us throughout the throughout generations. But in response to him specifically, Peter said in verse 8, Never shall you wash my feet. Okay? <laughs> Emphatic, of course, exclamation point in many versions. In other words... He's to go back a couple verses. And again, let's let's listen to this and hear this through conversation. Because this was the God man, a physical man, Emmanuel, beside other men like you and I. Simple men in this case, but men who had been following him, who literally did what he asked of them, which is throw down every single thing and follow me. And they had done that. They willingly left behind their entire identity to be lost into the rabbi. We'll talk about that more in a moment. So he said, Lord, you're washing my feet? You? (laughs) No way. (laughs) Never shall you wash my feet. And Yeshua responded to Peter, knowing his heart, of course. If I don't wash you, you have no place with me. So, Simon Peter, for his response, and listen to what he said now. Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Okay? So, Peter, because there's kind of a contrast here. I don't really have that in my notes or anything. But there's this contrast here within the disciples of the betrayer and Peter. Because Peter is like, he of course is rightly so. I think we would be the same if we were in the presence of Yeshua Messiah in the physical sense. No way are you washing my feet. We'd be weeping and saying, no, God. God, man, Yeshua Messiah, no way will you ever wash my dirty feet. If anybody's getting washed in here, it's you, Master, King. See, that's what we just don't understand rightly about the Messiah, the suffering servant God-man. He came to serve. (laughs) And he didn't just serve in some ascent of, of metaphor by laying down his life. Like, this is an example that he literally served. He literally, a man who knew no sin, a man who perfectly kept Torah, a man who never ate unclean animals, a man who who was the rabbi of all rabbis, he knelt down in a physical body and he grabbed the dirty feet of men like you and I and he washed them. That is an incredible thing for us to just sit and be still towards the rest of today. Peter, I think, understood that. Of course, when Yeshua said, if I don't wash you, son, you can't be with me. So Peter said, oh, if that's true, and because it came out of your mouth, I know it is true. In that case, wash my feet, wash my hands, and wash my head. Great king. And again, as I already alluded to a moment ago, we have to remember these men. I've been reading this book about... 
more first century church understanding, post-Yeshua church, not a new idea, new religion church. I have to keep mentioning that because we pick up new listeners and don't really understand what we're saying. The, ver- the verbiage we use is very important. But these, these men, when they were called, they were very simple, unlearned men. What I'm reading right now is just about like who were the first century Christians? Who were first century? They weren't even Christians as we like to use the word. Well, they were first called Christians. Well, it wasn't really a, a, a good uplifting thing. But they were the followers of the way, the followers of Yeshua, the Messiah, God, man. The, the ones that Shaul Paul led the sect of those who were keeping Torah, going to the synagogue, celebrating feasts and Sabbath. Clearly throughout the scriptures, we see that in Yeshua Messiah, filled with Holy Spirit. Post-Yeshua ascension, Acts chapter 2, this, this century, the first century of those people, they were, in many cases, almost primarily, one, one book I read said probably 94, 95% just unlearned men. Didn't know how to read. Didn't know how to write. Illiterate. Reading back then was considered you read a book when you sat in a group of people and someone read it aloud. And like all the, and we, these things matter when we start studying the Word of God and understanding context. What was going on? How were these things being taught? How were they being explained? That's why the writings of Paul are, are, are need shifted in our understanding because like these letters that he wrote were to specific individuals in specific circumstances that are not always applicable to you and I. It's not this blanket Christianity delivery. These were letters. When you write a letter to a family member or a friend, Is that a letter that is applicable to everyone you know? Or do you write specifically to that person? Do you write, Dear John, I've heard about your circumstance on your farm. I believe this is what the Father would say to you according to this verse and this chapter and this understanding, this doctrinal teaching, according to your specific circumstance. But we read these letters and we just think we understand them and boom, that's 100% applicable to me in my understanding, which is often wrong, in my context. I don't know why I'm going there, so we'll come back in. But that's important for us to note, and the reason I say that is the majority of, of first century Christianity, they were not even literate people. They had... People would, someone would stand up and read a letter, would read a book, would read the law and the prophets. They had to be taught. And so these, these men, these disciples were, were very likely like that. Unlearned, we know in the scriptures, we're told they were just unlearned common men. But these men, simple, had been walking alongside the rabbi. And a friend told me this several weeks ago. I thought was very fascinating, is that they they could likely not believe that they could be called to, quote, follow the rabbi, because generally that was something that had to be, it was a calling when you were young. You were, you were invited to come follow the rabbi when you were young in Jewish tradition. 
I don't know much about that. This isn't a teaching about that topic. But I remember he explained much more fully than I'm capable the, the importance and the value of, as grown men, the capital R Rabbi Yeshua coming and saying, follow me. Because when that call came, you mean me? Don't you see I'm, I'm a fisherman? I'm just a common everyday man. You're, you're, are you calling me to follow the rabbi? Yes, sir. Let's go. I mean, we don't understand the calling that even we ourselves have been invited into. Now, this leads us to our primary text. Again, John chapter 13. Primary text is um, verses 10 and 11. Yeshua said to him, okay, he's still, he's still having this dialogue with Peter. He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet. Otherwise, he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. Now, we know, of course, because we're so learned, Judas, betrayer, evil, vile, you know how it is. I would, ne- I would never be like, oh boy, may we please be cautious and careful with how we, in our hearts now, in our hearts, we align with Peter, right? I'd be like Peter. I'd never be like Judas. Why do we think that so simply? Why do we always align ourselves with the awesome men of faith? Oh yeah, I'm like him. And these other guys who betrayed Yeshua or, or rebels against, you know, Yahweh in, in the Old Testament. <laughs> How could anyone be so vile? Oh my gosh. I think we forget our own condition sometimes, or at least our propensity outside of the blood of Yeshua, empowered by Holy Spirit, to be anything good and of value today. Okay, so you are clean, but not all of you. Verse 11, for he knew the one who was betraying him. Of course, it was for this reason that he said, not all of you are clean. And what are we talking about? Completely clean is this little message we're talking about today. So what is this talking about? Clean. What is this? Now, cleanliness in the Word of God is is a very important topic. It's a very big deal. From beginning to end, there is constant discussion, teaching, and direction towards what Yahweh himself defines as clean. And if there is a clean, there is an unclean. We've tackled Acts chapter 10 just several weeks back, talking about Peter's vision about unclean animals, not unclean foods, because there are no unclean foods. There are animals for food, and there are animals that are not for food. There are unclean animals. There is no unclean food. (laughs) Yahweh gave humanity food, and he gave them animals that are not food. And so cleanliness we see all throughout the Word of God. Clean hands, pure heart, and, and that bears mentioning that a lot of times through the Scripture we'll only touch on a handful, maybe a dozen at the most, is pure and clean are often very synonymous, Old Testament and New, very much intricately related. And although we've been errantly taught here in 2021 Christianity that somehow in Jesus, if we're covered in the blood of Jesus, we're always clean, we're never defiled, we're never dirty, because all these verses that we have memorized and heard since our Sunday school days of like, man, if you're in Jesus, you're good. We talk about that to no end here. I realize that, but it's because it's such a Christian ingrained doctrine 
that we just don't need to do anything to clean ourselves. There's no ceremonial uncleanliness anymore. There's no all that stuff back. That's just old stuff that like we don't get dirty anymore. We don't get unclean anymore. I'm in Jesus. And I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that's true according to what the entire word of God tells me. From what was, from what is, and from what will be. So before we stand up to talk about how how clean we are, let us rightly examine this text. And then look at some other verses um, that instruct us to be clean. And, And even our part, we're going to talk about as well, our part, our individual part, to be clean, to clean, to cleanse ourselves, to purify ourselves, okay? So this word clean, katharos in Greek, katharos, specifically used in today's verse. Um, Now, when, when Yeshua said, not all of you are katharos, clean. Now, this this is a loaded word, and it can be intended as clean physically, Levitically, which of course is a priestly cleanliness, and ethically, morals, how you live your life, how you carry about your literal life throughout your days. It can insinuate many things. It's, it's somewhat broad, but very challenging when we, when we ask ourselves, which is the whole point of this, are we, am I, doing my part to posture myself within the working of Holy Spirit through the blood of Messiah unto the Father, keeping his ways that are, that are to establish a life of cleanliness in me? Am I completely clean? Am I on a trajectory of a constant state of evaluation of my life? Right now, for me, everything I put my eyes to. If I pick up this phone, if I have any propensity at all, now I'm not going to be looking at anything adult-ish, for the sake of all of our viewers, that's old news. But is there anything that I put before my eyes that takes my gaze off of the Father? And it takes my eyes off of being a spiritual man and moves it on on to being a natural, carnal man. We have to begin to get to a place where we don't just... Let's get past the sin issues. Let's get past just like commonplace sin issues and get to the deeper heart matters of anything, anything in me that that shifts my perspective from a spiritual man always consumed by pleasing the Father, learning his ways, learning everything he has for me, or catering to my natural man, my temporalness. It's a constant battle, but it's a battle that needs to be waged. And so there's physically, Levitically, and ethically. And and it can insinuate things such as a purifying by fire, a vine being pruned, being found free from what is forbidden, blameless, unstained, and free from corrupt desires. Okay, so now I'm going to read these again, and I want you to envision yourself, your life, what you do, what you watch, what you listen to, where you go for dinner, who you hang out with. I am constantly amazed with with daily regularity about what I see people who are openly professing Christians discuss. The music they like, the movie they movies they watch, the television programs that they have memorized, it literally like it baffles me that we can try to be synonym, synonymously clean before the Father and entirely dirtied up 
by what we watch and what we hear and what we talk about. I think that's why this is so necessary for all of us to make sure what? We are completely clean. So now, in light of this um, more full definition, I'm going to read these again and examine your own life. Again, what you do, what you partake in, what you join yourself with, what you're entertained by. A purifying by fire. This is what it means to be cleaned according to this katharos. A vine being pruned, free from what is forbidden. How do you know what's forbidden? These are things that we always, every single thing is like a channel in between mountains that comes to this place without even trying because it's, it's the Bible. It's the instruction of the Holy Word of God, which is asking questions like, okay, if, if being clean, as Yeshua was talking about, the challenge to be completely clean, clean entirely, is to be found free from what is forbidden, how do we know what's forbidden? How do we know what's forbidden? Is anything forbidden? I mean, I hear the arguments from people saying the Bible verses in light of our Acts 10 study. Well, in verse in chapter this, verse this, the Bible says that if if you're pure, everything is pure. Well, my question is, well, is murder pure? Is sexual immorality pure? I'm pure. Well, what's pure? Well, I'm in Jesus. So you can do anything you want, eat whatever you want, watch whatever you... Well, no. Well, you're using that verse saying everything's pure, nothing goes into a man. Okay, well, so if nothing goes into me, can I be an alcoholic then? Because that goes into me. It can't defile me. Well, no, that can. And see, these arguments have to be... We have to give ourselves to these constant dialogues and be willing to talk about these questions because we have to read this and say, okay, what does it mean to be clean? All right. How am I free from what is forbidden? I must know what is forbidden. Blameless. Okay. What does this tell me about how I'm blameless? How can I be blameless? Unstained. Okay. What does it mean biblically to be unstained, free from corrupt desires? How am I free from corrupt? What are corrupt desires? All these things must be addressed in our life, which is why I'm asking us all to look inward and say, what does this mean? Well, we cannot just say, in summary, are you clean without knowing what it means biblically to be clean? Okay, again, Physically, Levitically, and ethically. So in light of all these, how clean are we? How clean are we? The the real question is, do we even know? Do we even know how clean we are? Do we even understand what cleanliness means according to what Yeshua was talking about? So let us remember the circumstances in this text in order to give us all hope. Because this is something very encouraging for us that we have to remember that as Yeshua always, already referenced, he, of course, knows his betrayer is at the table. He knows the unclean one is right there beside them in the midst of the brothers sharing in this Passover meal. Well, we would say he shouldn't have even been invited, but brother, if he's not invited, neither are you. Neither am I. It's part of the beauty of the Messiah and everything he was doing with the body and the blood to extend himself to humanity. Because all of us, are deemed unclean. 
Okay, but this gives us hope because Yeshua is wash, washing the feet of his disciples at Passover, including the feet of the one who's about to betray him, the dirty one. He, Judas, was not too much for Yeshua to cleanse. It's, and, and in that moment, I'm thinking of um, uh, Cain. This is in another study I'm doing right now, but like about vain worship. Cain had, you know, it's like so many people only limit, we limit God to just New Testament understanding that somehow people previous to Yeshua could not know God. And that has never, ever, 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 ever been the case. Yahweh has always made himself knowable all the way back to creation. The banishment of Adam and Eve was because they broke the fellowship covenant with the Father. They were, they were, rebellious they were rebellious they opposed Yahweh's commands and had to be put out of his present moment covenantal relationship because they broke his they broke his law <laughs> it wasn't God who did one thing wrong he's a covenant keeping God to absolute perfection so we have to remember that like there is always a way made for humanity to come to the Father. What, I'm start, what I started to say was with Cain. Cain said what? Or what did Yahweh say to Cain? If you just would ad- admit, in paraphrase, if you would just admit you were wrong and you did, you brought me an offering that I did not desire in a way that I did not ask of you, if you would just turn, I would be right here to receive you. But the problem with Cain is the problem with you and I. A lot of times, sadly but true, we just don't turn. (laughs) We don't admit and confess our wrong, which is what I like about Peter's response, which is he's saying, Yeshua, wash my feet, my hands, and my head. Just do it all then. Because why? I want to be clean. I want to be clean before you, great rabbi. Do what you need to do. I have no problem with that. In humility, I surrender myself for you to help me, to clean me. So let's bring this one to a close. Obviously, according to the text, Judas needed completely cleansed in this. He had deception in his heart. We're already told that the devil had entered his his thoughts, his, his action. His actions had been tainted, deceived. But in Messiah, there is hope for any one of us. Just as as there has always been since the beginning of time, Yahweh has always made a way for humanity to come to him. Always. It was no new idea with Jesus. It was no new idea to go, oh, I'm going to go redeem mankind in a way I never have before. The pattern of the perfect loving father is that none should perish from day one. And will remain that way, because it's an attribute of who he is. So we're going to end this here and go into the next part. We're going to look at, like I said, a handful of verses, maybe seven or eight, of other verses where the word katharos is used, this word clean. In the New Testament, we're going to make a connection of how it shows up. Man, you want to do some clean studies? Go to the Old Testament. Holy cow. It's not irrelevant. It's not irrelevant. We've deemed it irrelevant, but it's absolutely of utmost importance, again, because how else do we know? How do we know? 
What are corrupt desires? What is forbidden? What counts me as blameless in the sight of the Father? What keeps me unstained? We have been given these answers. We have to know what this even means. And so what we're talking about today is how to be completely clean. And just a little bit of a a discussion of what being clean according to the Word of God and what Yeshua specifically in John chapter 13 was even talking about. I think it would be good for us to add to our lives. This is the Path to Zion podcast. Jump on over to pathtozion.com if you have not been there already and listen to two plus years of audio recordings there. Reach out to us at pathtozionpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for watching. We will be right back for the next part of completely of completely clean right after this. Amen.